I said last week in the, um, the uh, uh, welcome that I gave that a little while ago I went through a stage where, in all honesty, I could have given up the whole idea of Christianity because something didn't work for me. It wasn't fitting. I knew what I'd been taught all my life. I knew what, what had been handed to me from my family, but something wasn't right and it wasn't working. And as I decided that the choice I was going to make was not to throw it all you know, pack it all in, but I was going to actually seek to find the truth. I found that God has been faithful and, and the revelation that has come to me and has helped me with my life is uh, really quite astounding. As Jenny, uh, Jenny said, it's incredible. Um, so I want to actually get straight on with it tonight. With a, I have found that the Bible reads totally differently once you've had an encounter with the new covenant. Once you've seen God in a different light than the light that you were shown him originally. Now, some of you might say, well, I haven't a clue what you're talking about. That's fine. You carry on where you are. But I know a lot of us have had a particular view of God given to us, and uh, it was quite, quite difficult and destructive. But I have found that as I've looked at the scriptures, everything has just got a different light. It's like there's a positive edge all the time, and I can see it, and I think, whoa, this is great. And I just want to share it. So if you guys at the back can put up Matthew 13, uh, I think it's starting at 24. Um, we'll, we'll have a look at that if you want to put it up. You see, this is the parable, and Jesus talked in parables. He told stories, and some, some people might say, oh, well, you know, they ought to make sense, but they're, they're actually quite difficult to understand. So if anybody thinks that Jesus' parables were very straightforward, I, I can't say they are. I, they're not. But that's the point. There's, there's a message in there. There's a mystery in there. And it's, it's by faith that we grasp uh, onto the truth of them. Um, and sometimes we've looked at the parable, which we're going to read in a minute, of the, um, the wheat and the tares. And some of you have read this story before. We think it's a, a story about the end times. What's going to happen to the baddies? How they're going to get it in the end? But in fact, it's not that at all. It's a story about how we're supposed to live in the present. Now, don't you think that's far more important than thinking about what's going to happen when we're all dead and gone and what's going to happen at the other side? I think what's more important is how we're supposed to deal in the present. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. See, some of you out there, have asked on a regular uh, basis about the problem of evil. Why is there evil in the world? And it's going to come up in this story. That's good. And if, if you've asked that question a few times, you know why there is all this evil in the world, then maybe that question is going to be answered for you tonight. Do you like that idea? Oh, okay. Well, you can have a listen. Um, because actually this parable is about the contest uh, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of evil, and it's, it's really brilliant. So let's put it up there, the story. Okay, is this the king? No, can we have the King James, uh, New King James? I'm really sorry. I should have told you that at the beginning, but never mind. Okay, so in the New King James Version, it says this. Woohoo! Yay! Another parable, another story he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, do you hear the word? is like, not is, but like, and that's very important, a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares, now tares, let, we'll talk about that more specifically in a minute, but it's just basically a, a, a weed or a, another type of, of seed, um, among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have these tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you're gathering up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares 
and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. You can leave that up, and then in a little while, I want us to move a little bit further on. I think it's to verse 34 or something, but I'll tell you when we get to it. So basically, the story. Now listen, some of you, when it comes to the, the talking part of, the, of this service, you all switch off because you think, oh, boring. But I'll tell you what, there is some incredible truths to be learned at this point. And I, I really hope I can deliver it to you in such an exciting way that you get something from this. Because it can be awful when you spend hours of studying trying to get revelation and it looks as though you're having teeth pulled, all of you. So, you haven't got your teeth pulled. Okay, Damon, thank you very much. Okay, so let's just cover this story very quickly. A farmer, he plants an entire field. It's not part field, it's a whole field. Have you got that? It's very important. Because we can get the idea that it's only a bit of a field. No, it's the whole field. Whole field. Think about it in the terms of the word of God, the kingdom of God being shed abroad in the entire world. There's not one little place, no time, no person that hasn't been touched by the kingdom. Do we agree? That's what it says up there. Okay, thank you very much. The seed has been sown and it's already at work. Okay, the seed's going to do its job by itself and while... There's a parable a little bit earlier on in Matthew that talks about the parable of the sower. And while it says that, you know, that the, the, the sower sowed the seed and the seed was in danger of certain things. It was in danger of birds and it was in danger of thistles and it was in danger of rocky ground. But in this parable, it seems to suggest there's no danger to the seed. It's just going to do its job. It's gone into the ground and it's going to grow up. Now that sounds pretty awesome to me, right? But there was a problem. And what was the problem? While everyone was sleeping, the man's enemy came. And you could say, oh, they're sleeping on the job. No, it was night time. They'd gone to bed. Now listen, I've been in church long, long enough and I've been told that, oh, if the church would only do its job, that basically we could cut out all the evil of the world. Hang on a minute. It was Bedtime. <laughs> Give us a break. They'd done their work. They'd done the stuff. And they said, right, dawn is, uh, evening has come. We're off to bed. So there was no wrong. Do you get me? Because if we're not careful, we make out that it's our fault that stuff's happened. And it says that basically the problem wasn't an, uh, the guys having a negligent nap on the job. When they should have been awake, it was, it was night time and there was no problem. Every positive measure had been taken. But then somebody came in and planted um, some awful seed in the night while they slept. And some of you think that the reason why you're in situations you're in is because in some way you've been negligent. The truth is you haven't. What did the farmer say? He says, an enemy has done this. Now I'm going to quickly move to the other side. Some of you have been negligent. You were sleeping on the job. You were, were you darling? Okay. And there's grace for that too. But on this occasion, there's no negligence. There was an enemy that came. And we're going to revisit that in a little bit. But for the present, let's take the farmer's take on the matter. The weeds were not interfering with the growth of the seed. But the word enemy jumps to our attention. Why? Because suddenly there's an inconvenience to the farmer and also to the servants. So, if we're honest, what's the most inconvenience thing in our lives? What do we struggle with the most? It's when people do bad stuff. Right? When people do bad stuff. It's the evil in the world that's a real inconvenience to us. Otherwise, we'd all be very happy, wouldn't we? Wouldn't life be lovely if people didn't upset us? Look, I'm just, being, I'm just trying to be very real about this. So, the guys had a bright idea, the, the servants. They said, let's take direct immediate action. We'll sort it out. Shall we go and gather all the weeds and basically 
pull them up and sort it out so we've got a beautiful field of good wheat. And the farmer said, no, I've got a better idea. Now, some of you are going to love this better idea. Because he said, no. He says, I've got a better idea because I don't want to just win a little battle. I actually want to win the entire war. So he says, what are we going to do? We're going to do nothing. We're going to do nothing. He says, for the time being, what is preferred to the response to evil, we're actually going to do nothing. The time frame in which you're working, the here and now, the most effective strategy is to let it grow together. Oh, he says, if you pull up the evil, you'll pull up the good as well. He says, but what we're going to do is let it all grow together. Now, what's incredible, we'll get, get to this a little bit later on, although I'm running out of time already. The word grow together is actually a word called aphesis. I don't know if I like the sound of that word, but it's A-P-H-E-S-I-S. And actually, it means to forgive it, to leave it alone, to even allow, allow. Oh, that's scary, isn't it? Allow it. When God was giving me this on uh, Wednesday when I was studying it, we were hearing of the guy who'd had his head chopped off in Iraq. And I'm thinking, oh, you're saying, allow it, permit it. And I'm thinking, no, people aren't going to like this. But he's saying, yeah, forgive it, leave it alone. Now, he promises that at some later date, he's going to interfere. But he says, in the here and now... I don't want you to do anything but forgive it, allow it, leave it alone. He insists that every proposal that the servants have is actually more harmful than good. And he assures, assures them at some point he will interfere. And he says, but not until the harvest, until then it's got to be suffered. We're not going to address wrongs but we're actually going to bear it. Now, I don't know what you're feeling about that right now. Some people can't even bear their husbands leaving the toilet seat up. I brought it right down to earth, didn't I? Do you have the paper over the top? Or under? Oh, come on, you all know what I'm talking about. These things bother us. But you see... There's a problem, and the reason why the farmer's wise is this, and it, it, to me it's very important, because the weed that was planted, that it says weeds up there, it's, a, it's actually a particular type of weed, which is really exciting, and it's an annual grass that looks just like wheat. In some translations, it says thistles, and you think, well, yeah, if it's a thistle, I'll be able to tell a thistle from a piece of wheat. That's obvious. But what happens if the, the, the weed that was planted looks exactly like the wheat? How do you know the difference between the two? And which do you pull up? Ooh. Bit different then. If it's thistles, fair enough. But you see, I think that that tells us a lot about how the world is presently the good and the evil that's going on. We think we can tell the difference, but the problem is, most of the time, we can't. Now, I said something about what happened on Wednesday and the guy who was, was so horribly uh, treated in Iraq. Of course we see that, and we can totally say that was evil, it was wrong. But you see, we have extremes. We can see that as evil, but there's other things that each one of us in here tonight, if I said, what do you think about this? We'd have a different opinion. You'd think it was all right. I might think it was wrong. You might think it was wrong, and I might think it was all right. So who decides? Oh, you do. Okay. Talk to Diamond afterwards. Okay. See, the problem is people think that they can tell the difference, but you can't. And that's the problem. The farmer knew in his wisdom that once we had taken and eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the beginning, that that would be the problem. We thought we knew we could tell the difference, but the trouble is we can't. How do we identify what's good? I've already said, and I'm not going to go into that anymore. 
There are things, I don't even know what to say here, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm wanting God to help me because I don't want to upset. But I know that there are, I mean, I've had the conversation even before the meeting tonight, that there are people who profess to be good seed, right? Uh, even good Christians who hate the rock. No, but you get what I'm saying? So does that make them good seed or are they bad seed? Because if the Bible talks about us loving one another, how can that be a good seed if you have this attitude towards people who profess to love Jesus? It doesn't make any sense to me. Do you see what I'm saying? So what what I'm trying to get at is that you might think, for instance, oh, that's a lovely person, but that lovely person might be doing things that you haven't a clue about, which might not make them lovely. And do you know what I love about all of this? Is that there is good and evil in us all. Oh, from one day to the next. I'm a piece of wheat today. Ooh, the wind's blowing me. I'm really lovely. But the next minute, I can be a blooming horrible piece of zazania, as it's called, that looks a bit like wheat, but it's pretty, you know. So if we're going to deal with it, what do we need to pull up? All of it. Oh, heck, we've got a problem now, haven't we? So the farmer says, don't get into that way of thinking. Stop trying to eradicate it because it'll damage the wheat. Leave it. Forgive it. Oh. And you'll all say, yeah, but what do you do? That means the enemy can just come back again and it'll do it all again. Too right. It's horrible, isn't it? When you forgive something and then it just all happens again. If I was to write a book and I told you how many times I've been around a particular circle, you would freak. Because I keep forgiving it. Oh, we go around again. Oh, we go around again. So, let's look at this. What's the enemy's strategy? Why did he just sow weeds? Did you notice he says he sowed them and he went away? Dead courageous, eh? Because in himself, he has no power other to plant weeds. It's not going to harm the wheat, but you know what he does? He depends on moral loonies. That's what I'm going to call you all. Moral loonies to basically take up arms against the confusion that the enemy has created and we work on his behalf. If you leave it alone, the wheat's going to grow. And at the end, the farmer says, I'm going to sort it at the end, but leave it now or otherwise. So you see, goodness itself and even morality can do more evil than all the evil in the world. Now that takes your head getting round. And there's a saying that evil prospers when good men do nothing. I wonder who wrote that? Because actually, if we look at what The farmer's saying here, he's saying that's not the truth. He's saying because actually, if you interfere, you're going to do more harm than good. Oh, that's put something for you to think about. How many tweets are we going to have on that tonight, eh? Chris says, (laughs) never mind. Okay, so this, this is the point. The mystery of the kingdom is doing great, but also the mystery of evil doing is also working alongside. It's not real wheat, but it looks just like it. And if the servants can be persuaded to actually interfere, there's a, an incredible disaster on the horizon. Have you thought about that? So let's look at the age-old question. The servants were more interested in who done it than how to deal with it. Because they went and said to them, the, 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 the farmer... You sowed good seed, didn't you? Where did they come from? Suggesting the problem was with the farmer, questioning his kingdom, his purpose and his character. How many times have you asked the question, well, if God is good, then why is the bad in the world? Come on, be honest. You're all very quiet. What sort of a God Allows all this evil to happen. If he really loved us, wouldn't he stop it all? Come on, let's be honest. 
you, 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 you know, you're looking as though, no, I've never asked that question in my life. Yes, you have. What sort of God would put up with this nonsense, letting an enemy come in and do all this? Why doesn't he just swat his enemy? You know, why doesn't he just deal with his enemy? And do people expect to follow a God who hasn't enough power to deal with the one who's put the weeds in the field. Do you get me? Come on, I'm, I'm trying to be, be real with you. But you see, instead of trying to find an explanation that suits us, that fits us, and that we think, oh yeah, that's, that's okay. All the farmer is prepared to say in this instance is that an enemy's done this. That's all he says. That's all I'm going to give you the explanation. An enemy has done this. And that answer has got to be good enough for us. And how many times do we get ourselves in knots over trying to figure out why, when actually the farmer's saying, stop asking me why, let me tell you how to deal with it in the here and now. Now, don't you think that's important? But I'll tell you, most of us don't want to adopt the strategy of the, the farmer because he says, I'll tell you what. He says, what we're going to do is adopt the strategy of forgiveness in the here and now because I know it'll work. Now, at least the servants adopted the farmer's advice. They said, okay. So they didn't go sort of secretly into the field and do it behind his back. They did at least do what he said because at the end of the day, the question to, comes to us, Whose side are we on? Whose side are we on? And what method am I going to adopt to deal with the problem of evil that I face every day in the world? Isn't that the, the two questions? If we keep asking why, we ain't going to deal with it. Do you get me? So here's the thing. So what we're going to do, and the farmer says, you're going to forgive it. Now, I mean, it's just incredible, th these words and I think I've moved too far down my... no I've lost it somewhere but never mind we'll just keep keep moving on so the lovely thing about the word aphesis a-p-h-e-s-i-s -E it turns up in the Lord's prayer and it says this forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass or make debts against us and that's that same word so when the early church were saying the Lord's Prayer way back, you know, many thousands of years ago, they were hearing that word that says, when an enemy does something to you, this is the strategy, you're going to forgive it. Isn't that amazing? So the farmer's answer to all the problem was we're going to forgive it. Right, let's look at the harvest then now. We get to the final bit of the story, and if you look at, at the bottom, look. Verse 30, it says, <laughs> At the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. How much of the whole story is about gathering of the weeds? It's two-thirds of the last verse, not the whole story. Don't you find that interesting? Anth brought it last week. That we've focused our whole understanding of Christianity on the, on the message of hell and heaven when actually it's, it's sadly two-thirds of the verse, let alone two-thirds of the, of the whole story. So we've got two-thirds of a verse, not two-thirds of the story. The majority of the parable is about the forgiveness of evil in the here and now not the avenging of it. Sorry. Isn't that fantastic? That's all you get at the bottom. First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But you see, the thing is, our history goes, burn them. Ooh, we're going to have a burning. None of you think that you've got an issue with wanting baddies to get it. 
but it's true, we do. We all want evil to be punished and we want good to be exalted. And so we look at stuff like that and he's given the most incredible, um, what's the word I'm saying? Understanding of what to do in the face of evil in the here and now. And yet we immediately look, oh, bind them into bundles and burn them. See, the baddies are finally going to get it. I love this, because when I was thinking, yes, but no, but yes, but no, but who's that on uh, Little Britain? I'd love to have her up here going, yes, but no, but yes, but no, but yeah, but yeah, but no, but... Because sort of, yeah, it is, but no, but no, but yeah, but no. Do you see what I mean? But it's the two-thirds of the verse, not two-thirds of the story. See, I love what Anne said last week about there being a gap between the a theist and the agnostic rather than atheist and agnostic because you see between that there's a gap for a mystery to have taken place and you see the truth is between let them grow together until the harvest and at the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers gather them there's actually a gap because guess what we've got a harvest. Whoa. And that harvest is actually the resurrection. And what's really amazing about this, and I, I find this just, why is it that the only Christians believe that they're going to be resurrected for some crazy, stupid reason? Everybody will experience the resurrection. Why do we think it's only believers who experienced the resurrection? Stop and think for a minute. Because that's stupid. Now think about it. Between the harvest of the good wheat and the gathering of the bundles of the wheat that looks like wheat. Oh, and you might be one of them. Oh, echo. I might be one of them. I'm just being careful here because I don't want to suggest, suggest who's what. Because I really don't know, right? But there's a gap. And it's called the resurrection of the dead. What is going to happen in that gap? I don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know. Is that the same spirit that was working in Jesus is going to be working in each and every human being that's ever lived. And then when they come out at the other side of the re resurrection, they're going to have said, hang on a minute, I was dead. I was dead. What's happened? Oh, something I thought wasn't true is true. Oh dear, hang on a minute. Oh. Just think about that for a minute. Why is it that we have a, we have a real struggle? Because you know what? We try and apply... Things that we understand in the here and now to the there and then. Don't do it. We struggle enough to make sense of this life. <laughs> Why would we think that we've any hope of understanding what's going to be then? See, the thing is, God or the representative of the farmer is going to deal with the tares in the there and then, in the lights of a mystery of the resurrection. Whoa. Don't you think that's fantastic? To me it is. I think we've already got a better ending, don't you, than most people think. See, the resurrection is not a reward for the chosen few. It's going to happen for everybody. Now, you see, most of us are so hooked on What's, oh, and I love this. this I, I, I've stolen this from, from a, a guy um, from a book, so I won't give you his name, but he says, the human race is hooked on eschatology. Now, eschatology means what's going to happen at the end. Give us one drag of it. Come on. Let's get high for a minute, you know. No, I don't, darling. And listen to this, though, and I love his words. We proceed to party away our whole forgiven life in fantasies about the final score settling session that none of us except for forgiveness can possibly survive. 
Well, if that's the case, why do we get so hung up on this final score settling? Look, right at the end of this verse. Anyway, Jesus then takes a detour. That's all he says about that. I can hear Forrest Gump. That's all I've got to say about that right now. That wasn't a very good. Connie would do a better. She would, darling, yeah. But then, if we go to verse 36, because he talks about some other things. Jesus is, you know, talks about other things. But then, suddenly, the disciples need an explanation. So the disciples bring up the story again. Verse 36. Do you want to put it up? Have we got it there? 36. Right. Explain to us the parable of the... Uh, hang on a minute. I think it was more than that. Wasn't it? Was it more than that? Or was that the whole thing? No. He actually said... <laughs> That the kingdom is like a man who sowed good seed in his field and then had weeds sown in it by an enemy. But what did they hear? Weeds! Blooming weeds! They didn't hear anything good. They just heard weeds. Jesus gave them a story of the complex relationship between good and evil. But all they could see was what? evil and we can be the same all we see and if they didn't get it the first time round when they asked him for an explanation were they likely to get it this time because I think even the, the first question that they ask is already loaded because they're wanting to know what about the last two thirds of the verse not the whole story and you know, I have understood that in, in, in my life and in my Christianity, there's been so much emphasis on the last two thirds of the verse instead of the wonderful story that's at the beginning. And so basically, he, he does give them, you know, he tells them what it's, what it's about. He says, shall we read it just very quickly? Um, where is it? Sorry. Um, right, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angel. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of, the, of the, this age. The son of man will send out his angels and they will, they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, I'm going to come back to this verse 43 later, but I just want to read it now. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So that's his explanation. Right. So you wonder, well, are the disciples going to be any more clued up now than they were before? I don't know. See, at the end of the day, if you're looking for the end of the story to be one that brings some sort of justice that you understand, nothing that Jesus tells you will fit for you. And I think that the disciples had a view in their mind what they wanted. And until they heard what they wanted to hear, they weren't going to be satisfied. And you know, some of us can be like that. But like I said a few minutes ago, what was going to be between the harvest and the last bit of the verse was going to be this incredible experience called the resurrection. And in that resurrection, everybody was going to really experience this. The letting be, the, 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 the letting go, the permission, the, the forgiving of all the evil that had ever been, and it was going to be dealt with in the light of his resurrection. See, what is justice to God is totally different to our ideas of justice. 
And most of the time we think, okay, if we can separate and understand what's going to happen to the baddies, and I know that hopefully I'm not going to be one of them, but then that's very questionable, isn't it? Then we feel very, very secure. And so what we do, we think, well, if we can only understand what's going to happen to the, the weeds, and I can manage not to be one of the weeds, then I can be okay. But you see, what is absolutely fantastic is this. That verse 43 that I said, look at this. Then the righteous will shine forth. Now, I find this just probably one of the verses that's most misunderstood in in the Bible. Then the righteous. Well, who are the righteous? Because we know that the good seed, the wheat, has been gathered up and taken where? Into his barn. Okay, they're looked after. That's sorted. Okay, they're gone. So, if then we've got an issue that the weeds of the wicked, the wicked one, our, our representation of the wicked one, have been burned and we've had all this weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, and then we get to the point then it says, then the righteous, who are we talking about? Oh, I like this. Look at this. It can't be talking about the wheat, the wheat that's been harvested and taken to the barn. It's got to be talking about the weeds that were gathered together and bundled up and put it to a fire. But you see, the fire is about a furnace. It's like something that bakes bread, something that makes bricks, something that cooks something and makes it ready for something else. Oh, so maybe it's again all our ideas of this burning thing have all been cooked up by whoever and we could talk a lot about that. But here's the point. Those who have just, let's instead of saying those which sounds like people, but let's keep it in the terms of the weeds, who have experienced the fire are the ones who are then the righteous. How about the fire being the fire of God's unconditional love? Have we thought about that? What an idea! I don't know where I got this from. But it's on a piece of paper and it fell out of a book today and it's here so I'm going to read it. Listen to this. Our false identities will be purged and destroyed... We will suffer intense loss and anguish. Sounds like weeping, wailing and gnashing of teeth, doesn't it? But we ourselves will be saved. The real you and me. Some may resist God's flames of love for an extended period, but no one can outlast the ultimately irresistible and irrepressible love of God. All evil aspects of our personalities will have their part in the lake of fire where all forms of hell and death will be destroyed. But, what did it say at the beginning? I don't even know who wrote that. I just wrote that down from somewhere. But we will be saved. So here's the thing. Let's get back to our story. It suggests to me that at the end of the story is a positive one. Out of the process of burning, the furnace, the melting pot, an oven that bakes bread where all that is not of God can be melted away. But then what comes out of the other side, see, it's not a corrective measure. Sorry, it's a corrective measure, not a punitive measure. It's a restorative process, not a destructive one. Because if God is going to restore all things, how can possibly people be burning forever for eternity? It doesn't make any sense. You can love me or hate me, I don't mind. So here we've got all our false identities. And remember what we said about the wheat. It was a false wheat. It looked very much like the real, but it was the false. But that's what's going to be burnt away. So we've got then the righteous. Do you get it? See, that's why the gospel is really good news. Because I honestly believe that God is going to be the winner Love is going to win. 
We can't have him only having two thirds of the last verse. He's got to have the whole story and he will. So here's the thing where I want to, to end it. He says, all the evil and badness that is manifested in our real world and in the lives of real people is not to be dealt with by attacking or abolishing the things or persons in whom it dwells, but rather it is to be dealt with by a forgiveness, by a letting be, a suffering, even a, position, a permission that's rolled into one. And so we come to the cross. What did Jesus say on the cross? He says, Father... Forgive them. Why? Because that was his policy to us and it was his policy then and he's not going to change it now. And you know, on the basis of Jesus' ministry, we can actually have great confidence that if that was his strategy then and it was his strategy on the cross, then it's his strategy now and that will be his strategy then. Now, Anne says something when he was preaching about the new covenant. He says, Often we have the old covenant with Jesus added on. And we don't want that, do we? We want for Jesus' whole new covenant to be what we put our trust in, what we understand, leaving behind the old. But what occurred to me is if we're not careful, we have the new covenant of Jesus and his great finished work on the cross. But when it comes to the end, we go back to the Old Testament for all. Oh, it will sort out the baddies just like they used to do in the old covenant. But we're not going to do that, are we? We're going to say what God is, what he does, what he knows, is going to be totally uh, authentic to his strategy for us in this life. If he says forgive your enemies, he's going to forgive his, right? Isn't that amazing? So, what's my point tonight? Stop asking why. And start operating in the strategy of the farmer. He says, forgive it. Forgive it. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Number one, decide whose side you're on. Are you on the side of the enemy who's sown the weeds? Or you're on the side of the farmer who tells you to forgive it? And then after that, adopt his strategy of forgiveness and trust in the mystery of the kingdom. You see, how, how can we get our heads around the fact that the kingdom of God does his thing by itself? It's hard, isn't it? We always think that we need to mess with it. We think we need to help it along and we've got to stop this and we've got to stop that and we've got to help people understand that they're going wrong over here rather than actually saying, no, the kingdom's growing. It's just doing its thing all by itself. And we trust that mystery now, and we also then trust the mystery of the resurrection. What's the re resurrection going to do? I'm absolutely out my head over that, because I actually trust God to say, it's going to be amazing. We haven't got a clue, really, but it's going to be amazing. And so on the back of that, I believe that love will truly win. So what is the strategy for dealing with the evil in the world? Two words. Forgive it. Forgive it. I know it's tough. Forgive it. Farmer said, forgive it. He said, let them grow together. But that word is, forgive it. And I'm just going to challenge this house... We might end up very lonely and on our own, but I want to challenge this house to the, the, the ethos, for the light, for the sound that's coming from here. What we're going to do with the evil, we're going to forgive it. And then we're going to leave it to the, the farmer at the end to do his incredible work through the mystery of his resurrection. Doesn't that sound awesome? Well, I hope that's encouraged you tonight. I'm sorry if I've taken a bit too much time but hope that's encouraged you thank you well there's part of me that wishes that's wrong because <laughs> i have to admit um 
more like these guys who explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Tell us what's going to happen to the baddies. Tell us how judgment comes. Tell us how retribution's going to happen. Even for us Christians who've given our life to Jesus, we want to know how those who haven't are going to suffer for the sacrifice that we made because we didn't get to do what they get to do, so they have to pay. Come on, don't look at me in that tone of voice. (laughs) And yet the wonder of it is this, that this forgiving spirit, this, this business of growing in, with, among, is what God's kingdom is all about. With, in, and among this world, we grow But Jesus said lots of other things, like, for example, you are the salt of the earth, you bring out the flavor. You are the light, you overcome the darkness. So this doesn't stand on its own, but what it says is our spirit and attitude and heart, when it is one of let it be, forgive it, but grow in it, with it, among it, something happens in the among it and with it and in it from our lives that Jesus says already begins to bring resurrection to many people around us. The amazing thing about resurrection, I, I talked to Chris today about this, is that we only know the wonder of the resurrection of Jesus because we are after the resurrection and therefore people wrote about it because that already happened. If you go before the resurrection of Jesus, not a single disciple believed that he would rise from the dead. The women who wonderfully in kindness and love went to the tomb on the third day to anoint his body only went because they didn't expect him to be missing. Not a one of them believed what he said about on the third day, I will rise again. But afterwards, when we look back, because we have what's written about the mystery of the resurrection after, so we say, we get the mystery of the resurrection. Do you understand that nobody is here who's been after the end resurrection who can write and say it's like this? There is a wonderful mystery in which this incredible grace of God is marvelously at work. And I can't argue with Chris on grounds that she said, you know, we think thrown into the fire. And that Greek word does mean the smelting pot. You only put stuff in a smelting pot to separate it from the impurities that are in it so that you can see the gold. You only put bread in the oven not to kill it, but to make it edible. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so when it even uses the word fire, there are implications to that that are so big when we allow our mindset of the tears of the field to be broken in us. I want you to have a kingdom mindset. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever would believe this wonder of the miracle of God incarnate revealing to us what resurrection looks like. He said, will not perish, will not perish, will not perish. In other words, there'll be no label stuck on you that says best before or used by. Because that's what perishing means. That's what those labels are. And if we don't believe that, there's a label on our life that says you better use this before this date. It's only the best by and then it's done but shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. What does that mean? It's the power of a resurrection that we can never fully grasp because we can look back at what happened with Jesus, but the wonder of what he does in us is even greater and more wonderful. So I'd like to argue with this. Something inside of me wants to say, but I like a bit of good old justice as I see it. Come up and... Something in me has to say, I submit to that mystery because... What if I'm tear and not a wheat? What if I'm growing among the wheat, but actually, in reality, I'm more tear than wheat? What would you like to happen in the end? How would you like this to work in the end? Would you like there to be about your life a big then? But then, right? But then, after that, the righteous will shine forth in the kingdom of their father. I hope this makes you struggle. I hope it disturbs you. I hope it makes you have to think because I want you to find the kingdom of heaven as Jesus introduced the kingdom of heaven, not sometimes how we have minimized it and reduced it. I've told you before and I close with this, 
I used to sing Amazing Grace, but the grace I was singing about wasn't very amazing. Because it was grace that rewarded you for doing good, but punished you for doing bad. It's grace that forgave you if you were sorry, but you had to be truly sorry. But the amazing grace of God goes beyond our understanding. That's what Jesus invites you into. When he says, come be part of my kingdom, come be part of my kingdom, come be part of my kingdom. That's what he invites you into tonight. And he says, whoever believes that he is who he said he is to come into that kingdom, wherever we come in, he says, will not perish, will not have a sell-by date. But that's everlasting life. That's everlasting freshness. I want you to have it tonight. I want you to receive it. So I pray you're challenged. I pray that you're touched. I pray you're humble. But I pray you have a heart to hear. Because Jesus said right at the end, okay, he who is here to hear, let him hear. That's all you got to do. Hear, because like we said at the beginning, that Genesis was when you hear that word, it changes your life. Hear this word in your life that comes from the Lord of life, the Lord of grace, the Lord of love, and let it, forgive it, and receive what it is he's doing in your life. Let's just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the grace of God tonight that covers us. Thank you that in this field of the world that you have sowed good seed. Thank you that that good seed has power to multiply. Thank you that you are the one who has brought that goodness. Let our focus and hearts tonight come to where you are in your goodness, not on what we think the enemy has done, because we thank you for your love that so gave to us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all that's come. And thank you for the mystery of resurrection in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, bless you. Appreciate you being here. I know if you have questions, we're always around for you just to come and have a chat. If not, hang around in pillars, have a dessert tonight. And uh, other than that, we'll see you the Wednesday or Saturday next week. So be blessed in Jesus' name. All right, we're done. <laughs>